Greetings from the Simon Schmid podcast. I hope you're all well, that you're safe, you're looking after your health and well-being, and more importantly, you're increasing your self-care during this very difficult time that we are facing as human beings. But before we start unpacking and going through the detail of what I would like to discuss today about diving deep to the source, I just want to say thank you to the people that sent messages, friends, family, people that I don't even know. I really do appreciate it. I had massive resistance in doing that last podcast. Out of respect to my brother and not wanting to hurt him and, and upset him in any way because I have the utmost respect for my brother. And it's given me the confidence to be able to talk about diving deep to the source. And what I want to try and get across today is that my message is really everybody has a story. Everybody has been through something difficult or a challenge or something which has changed the course of their life. And it's so important that you dive deep to the source of when that happened. And there's various ways you can do that, but my process of how I've done that is a combination of journaling and using a therapist to navigate me through that diving deep to the source. So I'm comfortable for the first time ever to talk about diving deep to the source of when my trauma happened and the events that followed and the survival techniques and subconscious restraints that I developed as a child, which continued until I was a man and driving me to becoming more unconscious than ever. And then having the gift in 2014 to embark on a process of becoming more conscious as a man. So I'm gonna go through some detail. I might get lost a little bit and backtrack, but just bear with me because this is very personal, it's a part of my healing, and part of my healing is also to be very vulnerable and honest, and I think people don't do that, and people don't live in their truth, and all I can say is when you start being vulnerable and living in your truth, you become unstoppable, because you you really stop giving a shit about what people think or how they're going to judge you, and it's incredibly powerful. But it's taken a huge amount of work, continued work that I've committed to in putting myself first and looking after my self-care and understanding of the events that followed at the source of my trauma. So I was a young boy, 13 years old, playing cricket having a nice weekend. I remember I was staying at boarding school that weekend. And um, my dad, who I love dearly, is an amazing man. You know, I refer to my dad as the most, the calmest person I've ever met. Never heard my dad shout. And my dad has never raised his hand to me. Some might say maybe that's the problem, (laughs) but He's a man that is very kind and very soft and very gentle. 
and I'm very grateful to have a dad like that. So I was playing cricket. My dad arrives at the school and he walks onto the field and he starts speaking to the umpire and I'm incredibly embarrassed. I'm like, you know, dad, what are you doing? I mean, it's very unlike my dad to do something like that, obviously. And he walked up to me and he said, hi, sir, hi, my boy, and um, we need to go. And I was like, what do you mean we need to go? And he said, there's been an accident and we need to go. We need to leave and we need to, you need to come with me. And I knew instantly, instantly, it was relating to my mother and my stepdad. And I was 13 years old and I said to my dad, I said, dad, I'm not leaving until you've told me what has happened. And I, obviously through this process of diving deep to the source of when my trauma happened, I remember my dad's face, not really knowing how to tell me. And he said, Sai, there's been an accident and we need to go. And I said, is mom okay? And he said, no. And I said, what happened? And he paused. And then he said to me, there was an argument and Rob has shot your mother. And I said, is she alive? And my dad replied, no. And it's amazing how us as human beings have this instant survival mechanism that kicks in. And if I tell you I went berserk, that's an understatement. I remember running up to my boarding house, shouting, let's go and see him, Dad, back down to Durban, and let's kill him. That's what my immediate reaction was, you know, in a state of complete shock and devastation. Running into the boarding house, big commotion. I remember the border master coming close to me and trying to calm me down. I'm, I think I actually kicked him or punched him. And um, I remember my body just feeling absolutely filled with adrenaline and anger. Not sadness yet, anger. And I remember saying to my stepmom three months before this very unfortunate incident, I said to her, you know, it's like a ruler. It will eventually snap. Something's going to happen there. The relationship is not healthy. There's violence, there's abuse, there's emotional abuse. There's lots of things going on. And something is going to give. 
Subconsciously, I knew it. No one wants to admit these things, but I did know it even at a young age that you can't continue as a, to live like that. Something has to give. And my dad and my stepmom take me away for the weekend. And I'm just in a state of being absolutely numb. Paralyzed, actually. And you know, I really respect my dad and my stepmom. They really did what they thought was best, you know, taking me away and um, just trying to just do some damage control. And I remember still how upset my dad was and how concerned my stepmom was for both of us. And my stepmom had a very difficult time with my mother. My mother didn't make it easy for my stepmom to be involved with me and involved with my dad. And I had the utmost respect and love and care for my stepmom. She's been amazing to me and still is. And um, I really love her for that. So it's Sunday. We have to go to the house to collect my belongings. We drive down to Durban, drive to the home, and there's police everywhere. And I walk into the dining room table area. And there's a very famous bakery called Bread Ahead in the Berea area. I'm not sure if it still exists, but it's an institution. And I remember clearly looking at the red and white boxes, Bread Ahead, filled with cakes and muffins and police officers sitting down in the lounge having tea and cake. Even at the age of 13, I knew that was strange and odd. I then walked into my bedroom. My dad was quite overwhelmed, I suppose, dealing with his own demons and fears and trauma. Because my dad did love my mother always did and he was deeply upset about what happened and um, I walked into my room and I started packing my belongings my stepdad's mother for some reason always had an issue with us and I refer to us, us as being myself and my mother And she walked in and she said to me, no sorry, no nothing. She said to me, your mother deserved it. She was a sick lady. I'll never forget the feeling I had. And it wasn't anger. It was total and utter shock that somebody could say that to a 13-year-old. My dad became more paralyzed as the time went on. My dad's not an aggressive person at all. He's, I think he was just in absolute shock and overwhelmed with the whole situation. And then my stepdad walked into the room 
And he said, I'm so sorry, Simi. He used to call me Simi. He took a shirt off and he said to me, this is what your mother did to me. And having grown up as quite an active kid and a child that was into all sorts of sport, motocross, rugby, cricket, you know, I regularly got hurt and was regularly having stitches or some kind of minor operation. And I knew, knowing my mother very well, when she would have to walk out of the room when I would get an injection or have stitches, that she never did that. And I looked at him and I said, my mother didn't do that to you, Rob. And he said, she did. And I turned to my dad and I've harbored, I would say just frustration and yeah, just frustration and a, and, a, and a bit of resentment, I suppose. Not because I, I don't have any blame, but my dad didn't do anything and I felt like he should have been, he should have really stepped in and shown force. I don't know why I think that, but that's just my truth. And I said, Dad, let's get my things and let's go. And I proceeded to get my stuff and we left went back to my dad's home and I've got all this emotion running through my veins as a 13 year old boy confused sad but there was something and if there's one thing I can get across with this podcast as well for those of you out there that we all have arguments with people we all have fights we all have disagreements No matter what happens, whatever fight you have with somebody, if you are leaving, say sorry and say goodbye properly. Because I think the last time I saw my mother was such a great time. We said goodbye to each other, love you so much, bye mom, bye Sai. It was wonderful, it really was. And I think if I didn't have that ending, I would have struggled. I really would have struggled. I would have felt guilt. So I was this 13-year-old boy, confused, upset, angry. My whole world's been rocked. And I was at home for two weeks. And during that two weeks, I made the decision to forgive and forget. And I've spoken about this before. That manifested in a lot of negative ways in my life. That's how I survived. That's how I dealed with not facing the source of what really happened. Forgive and forget. And then my parents took the decision to send me back to boarding school. And I've harbored a lot of resentment towards them for that. Because I really felt that I needed to be home and around my family. But in hindsight... Well, looking back retrospectively, it was the best decision they did because it gave me structure. And I've got some wonderful, wonderful friends that I'm still friends with today from school. I was a very difficult, complicated guy now. You know, I was a 
bit of a class clown before the trauma. Quite naughty, quite cheeky. And now you throw in this this trauma and this difficult situation of losing your mother and the way I've lost my mother. So I became, put it this way, not everybody's cup of tea. But, you know, these are 13-year-old boys at boarding school. They don't understand what I'm going through. So life continued and um, I received a message this week from my latest podcast on my decision to unbrother from a lady who I haven't chatted to for a very long time and she was at my mother's funeral and she sent me such a wonderful message and you know how it's she still has the visions of seeing me so destroyed as a, as a young boy. And the funeral was incredibly tough, but I can tell you one thing. I had support like I've never felt. I still feel it. I still visualize it today. I still get goosebumps thinking of those people that were around me. Hundreds of people at my mother's funeral. But I had two particular friends that wrapped me up. My dear friend Jamie, who's an amazing guy. And another guy, Clint Mills, also a wonderful guy. And they wrapped me up and they were there for me. But what's so bizarre is that at my mother's funeral, my stepdad sat behind me wailing. And if I look back now, diving deep to that day, how unbelievably radically weird that is. Comes and sits right behind me, puts on this big show. I mean, it's just, gets me, it's just bizarre. It really is bizarre. And the confidence to do something like that, facing all those people. I mean, I had a, we had a, I had a busload of people that had come down from Peter Maritzburg from our school to come and support me. I think there were two buses. And I was absolutely devastated. Devastated that day. And, but I had these, these guardian angels, Jamie and Clint. And I'm forever grateful to them for what they did for me on that day. And there was waves of anger, waves of sadness, waves of anger, waves of sadness. And then the real challenges came. Now my brother was given immediate custody to my gran. And then ensued a custody battle but the custody battle was a separate case based on the murder case. So I don't want to bore with too many details because I'm, I'm also, you know, aware that I might get some of those details wrong and that's not what this is about. 
And my stepdad wanted custody of my brother. And um, what he put my grand through, offering her a bribe, offering to match her in whatever money she would spend on the legal fees, put the money in a trust for the boys, whatever he came across, my grand said that's not what Glynis would have wanted. And my grand lost a huge amount of money and also a huge, a huge stress. My brother was kidnapped. My grand was assaulted. My grand was intimidated. I mean, it's movie stuff, what went down. But I was just dealing with my own stuff, trying to be involved with my brother, trying to just be like, I don't know, just be, avoid the source of what's going on. Just avoidance was the forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. And my brother has had a, has got a relationship with my gran and well had my gran's passed away, but has a relationship with my mom's side of the family. My mother was adopted, and I think that's a large part of where her friction started. Her struggles, her internal struggles, her her mental health issues came from being adopted and that kind of rejection and had this desire to meet her parents, but my gran wouldn't give her the privilege of of meeting her parents for whatever reasons. And... My gran did a really good job with Jared. I mean, she really looked after him well and brought structure into his life. He was three. And um, then ensued this very, very messy custody case. And then the murder case was now time for it to all kick off. Murder dockets went missing. So it was delayed. Evidence went missing, so it was delayed. And my stepdad, with the influence and power that he had, got the best of the best lawyers that money could afford. And so the murder case started and um, it went from murder to, to manslaughter. Um, and he ultimately, he got off and he got custody of my brother. And I was, I, you know, I was witness to the court case and I was hoping to be put up on the stand be, and explain the difficulty, the difficulties of this relationship that they had, this back and forth, this very volatile relationship, physical and emotional but they never put me up on the stand. The main staff member changed her story from hearing shouting and screaming to not hearing anything. But be that as it may, that is really not the point. But I never forget the night, it was the afternoon, 
of the verdict. Courthouse packed media everywhere. My stepdad was also in the process of suing the newspapers for misinformation and he actually won. And um, uh, my stepdad turned around to a friend of his sitting down and he said, I've booked for Legends at nine o'clock and I watched him do this. And Legends is a, I'm not sure if it's still around, but it's a very well-known restaurant steakhouse in Durban. And I just knew that this whole thing is just bullshit. This whole thing is just, that's just, he's all, he's got off. And he got off and he got custody my brother. And that's when my relationship started with him. Uh, properly because there was he had my brother and I wanted to see my brother and I wanted to be involved with him and and um, it was quite odd it was I didn't really feel much I didn't feel anything I mean I was spending weekends in the same house that my stepdad murdered my mother and it just shows you how strong the mind is to push things out to survive. I mean, if I think about that now, it's bizarre behavior. It really is bizarre behavior. But that's the way I survived. Forgive and forget. Avoid the source, avoid the pain, avoid the suffering. And life went on. And um, I had this wonderful relationship with my brother. And had this relationship with my stepdad. But looking back at the age that it happened, how it manifested in my life, was I was incredibly aggressive. I was incredibly disruptive. I was needy. And later on, I became a, a huge gossip. I was a blamer. I refer to myself as probably the biggest blamer in Cape Town for years on end. <laughs> but that was because I didn't want to face the source. I didn't want to dive deep to the source and understand it and really, really heal from the stuff I'd been through as a child. And that manifests in lots of ways. And then marriage businessman, entrepreneur, building a team of people, creating different concepts, you know, and forming myself based on this person that didn't really want to deal with the source of his trauma. And then fast forward a few years till the 5th of the 6th, 2014. And... Um, this is when the process of work started for me. This is when the real, the real kind of explosion and the gift of what's ultimately made me become more conscious as a man. And fast forward a few years from there, having the, having the power and commitment to dive deep to the source of when my trauma happened which I've done over the last few months very intensively 
and have this desire to continue to dive there and understand this whole thing even better. But just to before we get into the to that the fifth of the sixth, twenty fourteen. I believe that diving deep to the source doesn't erase problems for people. And this is the kind of work that I do as a coach. Is I try and dissolve limiting subconscious restraints about yourself. That are triggers and the way we behave. You don't get rid of them. You just dissolve them. And by dissolving them, you start to show up as the best version of you. And... That's a part of my journey and part of my work that I do with clients. So, this nuclear bomb, this nuclear bomb that went off, which at the time was absolutely horrific and devastating, but is ultimately the, the most amazing gift that I've ever received. Disinherited on the 5th of the 6th, that evening wife leaves me that evening stepdad dies following day bury my stepdad following day come back to an empty house and I regret my decision to tell my ex-wife and my kids to leave the house I, I regret that massively I was a man and I should have left and I've dealt with it I've dealt with a lot of sh a lot of regret about that and I have apologized but I am very shameful for that don't know why but I just am um, and then me and my business partner split and my business partner was a massive part of my life it was a massive part of my family's life we were best friends and our business partnership was in trouble a year before because we were we were very arrogant well I was speak only can speak on my behalf very arrogant very money focused made our decisions all on financial gain and to be quite honest a bit of a prick I was a bit of a prick I treated staff incredibly badly um, but we were successful so my whole world collapsed and for those of you who are listening and have gone through or going through a difficult time, you have a choice. You have a choice to go left or right. And I made that choice to go left 72 hours after the 5th of the 6th, 2014, is to embark on a process of self-improvement and enjoy and start to enjoy the experience of, become, of being Simon Schmid. But only the last couple of months I've really wanted to dive deep to the source of when my life took a turn. So for those of you who are having struggles, having difficult times, relationship, partnership, marriages, before you make any decisions on the outcome that you want at that point or immediate outcomes try and go back to the source of when you've had a difficult time and understand how that has driven you into behaving differently as a human being 
And over time, you will be able to start to assess and understand why you behave like you do. I totally get it why I was a blamer. I totally get it why I was treated people badly in my work. I was needy. I was overprotective. It was like this bubble, and in this bubble was this perfect life. Beautiful home, beautiful wife, healthy kids, kids at private schools, holidays. All these things were pushing in that bubble, and that bubble got pushed or touched. I could be aggressive, I could be needy, I could be sad, I could overreact. Because I just didn't want to go back to the source. Too scary to be that 13-year-old boy when his dad was walking onto the cricket field to tell me that my stepdad has murdered my mother. Too scary. But my bubble burst. And we all have these things in our lives where we have immense challenges that come our way from nowhere. And then it's just different. But I urge you, do whatever you can to go back to the source. Get someone to help navigate you through a difficult time. Invest in yourself. Hire a coach. Hire a therapist. The best investment you can. But really diving deep to the source of when your trauma happened or your life has taken a turn and why. That's when the healing starts. And so much great has happened for me and my life is manifesting magically. It's not perfect. Far from perfect. What is perfect? Perfect for me was money, success, material things. But now I have the gift of being able to share my life experiences and help people, coach people to change and change people's lives and make a difference in their lives. And for that, I'm eternally grateful for the pain and suffering that I've received. And I'm sure life will throw more ups and downs towards me. And everybody listening to this, life is wabi-sabi, the flow of life, the Japanese word for the flow of life, ups and downs. But if you can enjoy the experience of the ups and downs, that's the gift. Don't be scared, dive deep to the source. Don't be scared, face it. Tough times never last. But don't push things away. Don't hide from things. Face things. Be vulnerable. Be open. And be truthful. And live in your truth. Because that's power. So I hope I've got my point across. I want to thank this little community that we're building for your support. The next couple of podcasts, we're going to keep things a little bit lighter. I'd like to talk about relationship stuff. I'd like to talk about how to improve your mindset, how to improve your health. But um, you've given me the opportunity and I want to thank you for really living in my truth I don't know why I get quite upset (sighs) 
for those of you who know me, I'm always <laughs> pretty upbeat and always laughing at my own jokes. But I do, I get quite emotional. It's, the source is difficult for me. But I'm understanding it. And that's healing for me. So stay safe out there, please. Look after yourselves. Live in your truth. Look after your self-care. Invest in yourselves with a coach, therapist. And um, that's it for now. Cheers.